The Trudeau government will stick to their plan to import 1 million new permanent residents in 2025 and 2026. The NDP government in Manitoba joins the chorus of voices who want additional exemptions to the federal carbon tax. Statistics Canada data shows that Canada may have entered a technical recession. Hello Canada, it's Thursday, November 2nd, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Lindsay Shepard. And I'm Isaac Lamoureux. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. Immigration Minister Mark Miller announced that Canada will stick with their plan of accepting 485,000 new permanent residents in 2024 and 500,000 in 2025. Miller added that Canada will import another 500,000 new permanent residents in 2026, saying that the figures will allow for sustainable population growth. Miller was presenting a scheduled revision of the 2023-2025 to immigration levels plan, in which Canada aimed to welcome 465,000 new permanent residents in 2023, 485,000 in 2024, and 500,000 in 2025. Our worker, and this is an important statistic, our worker to retiree ratio has dropped from 7 to 1 since I was born 50 years ago to nearly 3 to 1 now. If we don't welcome more newcomers, that number will approach 2 to 1 in the decades ahead, and that will put our infrastructure and key programs like our health care and our education at risk. I'm pleased to share that Canada intends to maintain its target of welcoming 485,000 new permanent residents in 2024, and 500,000 in 2025. Starting in 2026, the number of newcomers we aim to welcome will stabilize at 500,000, allowing for a sustainable population growth. These immigration levels allow us to bring in the skills and talent we need to fill the labour gaps and ensure Canada's economic prosperities, help families reunite and remain a leader in refugee resettlement. They're keeping us with our long-term focus on economic growth with roughly 60% of the permanent resident emissions dedicated to the crucial economic class. We're also committed to expanding efforts with key federal departments to align governmental priorities in our planning efforts in order to account for our capacity uh, to accept, including uh, immigration that is having pressure on housing. This approach will lay the foundation for more integrated planning and coordination as a country. This part of the government's plan only includes permanent residents. Canada also takes in temporary residents, such as temporary foreign workers and international students, as well as refugees. In 2022, Statistics Canada reported population growth in Canada was over 1 million, with 95.9% of the growth due to immigration. And the number of new immigrants coming to Canada in 2023 is predicted to be over 1 million. Further, many foreigners on temporary visas overstay in Canada. Isaac, where exactly are these immigrants going to live since our cities are dealing with a major housing crisis? Yeah, I'm not entirely sure, Lindsay. Uh, Unfortunately, I think that some immigrants come here expecting a better life and worst case scenario, they could end up living in the streets. The housing market is already difficult enough for established Canadians to navigate, let alone immigrants who may be coming here with nothing. Plus, a recent survey showed that 52% of respondents felt that newcomers face additional challenges in this already precarious housing market due to lack of financial history and credit score. 
Where do you think all these immigrants are going to live? Well, the thing is, Isaac, the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation has said that we need 5.8 million more housing units by 2030 to meet supply needs. If current rates of new construction continue, the housing stock is expected to increase by 2.3 million units by 2030, but we actually need an additional 3.5 million homes. So at the current rate, we're going to be short millions of homes. And it's funny because I watched Immigration Minister Mark Miller's announcement yesterday, and he was using this language of, you know, stabilize. And the government is saying, you know, stabilizing Canada's immigration targets to support sustainable growth. It, it just doesn't mean anything. Uh, they're trying to project this sentiment of stability when, in fact, Canadians do not feel stable right now. We feel like you, you use the word precarious. Yeah, the housing market is precarious. So is the labor market. And then it's funny also because the CBC, they repeated that same language uncritically without any quotation marks. So, you know, the CBC headline on the immigration announcement yesterday was Canada looking to stabilize immigration levels at 500,000 per year in 2026. That word stabilize, I don't think it really means anything here. Isaac, the government claims that economic immigrants are filling much needed jobs, but is this really the case? Because our construction sector the sector vital to building more homes in Canada, continues to face a severe labor shortage. Yeah, Lindsay, uh, I was looking at the statistics myself, and the construction sector no doubt continues to face a severe labor shortage. Between 2018 and 2022, Canada added around 550,000 people per year, while around 321,000 were immigrants. And during this time, uh, approximately 205,000 homes were built. This results in about 2.7 people per new home. Uh, I don't know where the majority of these immigrants end up working. Uh, I'm guessing it's pretty widespread. Either way, labor shortages have affected all sectors, but job vacancy rates rose more in the construction sector than the rest of the economy, according to a study released on October 25th by Statistics Canada. So uh, what do you think the government could do to address this labor shortage? Well, the government brags that, you know, it says on their own website, close to two thirds of recent immigrants are of core working age between 25 and 54, helping rejuvenate Canada's population. And even yesterday during the announcement, Mark Miller was, they, they kind of fear monger like, oh, if we don't accept this number of immigrants, like, you know, everything's going to collapse. There's going to be like no pension money and no social services. There's going to be nothing. Like that's kind of the way that they treat this issue. Um, when, if, if you read work done by, for example, UBC economist David Green, um, writer Bill Tufts, who studies pensions, he, he comes from an advocacy group called Fair Pensions for All, um, it just doesn't really seem to be the case that if we stopped the current immigration levels, everything would collapse. Yet the Trudeau government, they're always trying to fearmonger like, oh, you know, we used to have seven workers per, per one dependent you know, like a, a government dependent, like a senior, for example. But now it's it's three to one and it might be two to one. So they're trying to scare us, but I'm sure we're used to that by now. And I'll ask you one more question about this, Isaac. Is Canada setting up newcomers to fail? Because I believe studies show that many newcomers are actually leaving Canada now. Yeah, Lindsay, I don't know where all the newcomers come from or where they end up going, but immigrants are choosing to leave Canada for greener pastures. The number of permanent residents who pursued citizenship within 10 years of their arrival has dropped 40% between 2001 and 20, 
2021. Those are pretty staggering numbers. Canada seems very motivated to bring in immigrants, but they don't seem motivated to address the issues that affect either immigrants or permanent citizens. Manitoba NDP Finance Minister Adrian Sala is seeking the same exemption from the carbon tax that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau extended to Atlantic Canadians on home heating for residents in his province. Sala said that he would like to see, quote, greater fairness in how the federal government applies their carbon pricing exemptions. Outside of Atlantic Canada, most provinces predominantly use natural gas to heat their homes and not oil heating. Last week, Saskatchewan's Premier Scott Moe and Alberta's Premier Daniel Smith called on the federal government to grant their provinces the same exemption on natural gas as Trudeau did for oil heating. Grand Chief of the Aguasasne First Nation, Abram Benedict, is now advocating for an exemption on federal carbon pricing for all Ontario Indigenous reserves. According to Benedict, the carbon tax is in violation of rights granted under the Indian Act, as well as his community's tax exemption status. Lindsay, by Backtracking on one of its key policy plans, the Trudeau government seems to have opened up a whole new can of worms. It seems like everybody wants an exemption from the carbon tax. Are you surprised by the reaction from the provinces? Well, Isaac, I think dots are connecting for people now. Before, there seemed to be a sentiment that the carbon tax was just, you know, this small price we had to pay in order to perhaps alleviate any kind of climate or environmental guilt. Um, And then it made us feel like polluters are paying up and all is good. But now there's more of a realization that the reason why the cost of everything is going up is in part because of the carbon tax. Because now, for example, transporting everything across our vast country is more expensive. And sure, there are rebates where you may get some money back depending on your province and your income level. But the parliamentary budget officer, Yves Giroux, he said himself earlier this year, um, quote, When both fiscal and economic impacts of the federal fuel charge are considered, we estimate that most households will see a net loss. Based on our analysis, most households will pay more in fuel charges and GST, as well as receiving slightly lower incomes than they will receive in climate action incentive payments, so the rebates. So that was the parliamentary budget officer who said that. So I think there's more of a sentiment now, um, and this could have been, you know, popularized by the Conservative Party, that times are economically hard right now, and the carbon tax is making it worse. So, Lindsay, should provinces follow in the footsteps of Saskatchewan and simply not force residents to pay into the federal carbon tax? Right. So earlier this week, um, Scott Moe, Premier of Saskatchewan, declared that Sask Energy would simply stop collecting the federal carbon tax from Saskatchewan residents if Ottawa would not agree to an exemption on natural gas beginning in January. Um, So based on what Danielle Smith, Premier of Alberta, said in a recent interview, he is able to do this because of the way energy is set up in Saskatchewan with Sask Energy. However, you know, Danielle Smith in Alberta, she wouldn't really be able to do that because the energy sector is set up among multiple private companies rather than just one entity. So she won't be able to do something like that. But it looks like Mo can, but other provinces might not have the right environment to be able to do that. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible. 
because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Early indicators released by Statistics Canada suggest Canada may soon enter a potential technical recession. The preliminary data from the federal agency's August GDP report, published on Tuesday, shows that the Canadian economy has hit a standstill. Concerningly, the initial figures for the third quarter suggest a contraction, raising alarm bells across economic sectors. The stagnant growth in August, marking a disturbing downward trend for the second month in a row, continued into September, according to advanced data. The preliminary estimates by Statistics Canada show annualized shrinkage of 0.1% in the economy for the third quarter, following a contraction witnessed in the second quarter. A technical recession is characterized by two successive quarters of negative growth. The Bank of Canada, recognizing the fragile economic state, has maintained its key interest rate at 5% at its last two decision meetings. Current high interest rates, though essential for curbing inflation, are anticipated to further suppress economic growth, especially as households face mortgage renewals at elevated rates. Forecasts from the Bank of Canada paint a bleak economic picture, projecting weak growth for the remainder of the year and into 2024. You know, Isaac, I have heard some economists and commentators say that we already are in a recession. So are you surprised by this analysis that, you know, we're kind of just entering a technical recession? Because for many Canadians, times are bleak and have been for a while, and many are struggling to get by. Yeah, Lindsay, I suppose you could say I am surprised that we're not already in a recession. However, as you mentioned, we're very close because uh, a recession is characterized by two successive quarters of negative growth. And of course, we had one stagnant quarter followed by a quarter with a contraction. So we were about as close as you could be to being in a recession. We're really walking the line between being in a recession and not being in a recession. However, given the economic struggles that everyone has faced, I am surprised that we are not already in a recession. And as borrowing rates rise, spending will decrease, which will naturally lower the GDP, and undoubtedly we will end up in a recession. Do you think there's anything government can do to help Canadians during these tough economic times? You know, is there any spending we can cut? Can we reduce immigration? Can we lower taxes? Well, Lindsay, obviously doing any of those things or all of those things would help Canadians during these uh, tough economic times. But in my opinion, without a doubt, the best thing that the federal government could do for Canadians is eliminate the carbon tax. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, the carbon tax affects pretty much all areas of production and the cost of goods of so many different industries that it, it affects every single Canadian. Outside of that, do you think that the government could do anything notable to help Canadians during these tough economic times? Well, Isaac, as we've seen in the past, the Trudeau government treats immigration like the miracle solution for all of Canada's problems. So I'm sure they'll have something to say about that, about, you know, how immigration will will solve this. But that's it for today, folks. Don't forget to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. Plus, The Andrew Lawton Show will be live today at 1 p.m. Eastern, and Ratioed with Harrison Faulkner will be live at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to share our work with your friends and neighbors. And if you're able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news. Bye.